Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello, I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. My name is Sophie Mbongwe. Now, my dear, listen, I need your help. I know you have subscribed to the Africa Climate Conversations podcast either on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, or any other podcast channel out there, right? That we're good. But you're yet to subscribe on the YouTube channel. Trust me, you will love the video contents we are producing. Plus, your subscription allows the channel to grow. And that way, as we grow, I can get that extra coin that will be very handy for me to access these communities. As you know, accessing these communities, they're in remote areas and it's really, really expensive. So, your subscription means a lot to me as it is you supporting me to tell more of these stories from the field. So, please... If you love the content I produce, please head to YouTube, Africa Climate Conversations, and subscribe. I will really appreciate it. Sawa sawa. Thank you so much. Sasa, now let's head to today's episode. All right? Fantastic. Now, on the last episode, we heard what Isaac Mwangi Oizo of the Marafiki community is doing, building eco-friendly cabins at the Masai Mara in Kenya. Now, today we're still at the Masai Mara with the same community, but today I would like us to talk about water. Water is a major, major catalyst. If Africa, not just Africa actually, if the globe is to achieve a better future for all, right? Now, for those of you who've never been to Kenya, especially in Naro County, where the magical Masai Mara is located, access to clean water is a major issue, mainly because Narok is one of the 21 counties in Kenya categorized as arid or semi-arid areas. Also, extreme weather events such as floods and droughts have really increased in frequency and intensity. For a county that is classified as dry, you can imagine how this intensifies water scarcity as most rivers and streams communities depend on often dries up, all right? Picture Maria Sananka, a 20-year-old mother of six who has lived just next to the Masai Mara at Oloila Motia for 16 years. When she was a girl, they bathed in a river. It's the same river they would fetch water which they would use to drink or cook. As a girl too, she's grown fetching firewood. As you can imagine, this is firewood that is not just required to cook, but also is required to boil this drinking water. Let's hear more from Sananka. We drank from the river and we bathed in the river. We don't have bathrooms. Our men still bathe there. It was dirty water as the river is downstream from the camps, and a lot of sewerage is released into the river. What we'll do is build the water immediately after fetching it, and then it will be safe to feed it to your children and use it to cook. Drinking the water will cause diarrhea and stomach problems. At times, a child would just come in and drink the unboiled water, and it really affected them due to diarrhea and stomach issues. There was a day I came home from sourcing firewood and asked my child for water. Now, we had not boiled the water and I genuinely forgot. We both drank the water, my child and I both had a serious bout of diarrhea. We didn't sleep that night, but since ISO supplied us with clean water, it's really helped the village as stomach infections have stopped. Nowadays we are no longer required to boil the water, we just fetch and drink. Contaminated water and poor sanitation are linked to the transmission of diseases such as cholera, diarrhea, hepatitis A, and typhoid, which Sananka clearly understands better, having struggled with the waterborne diseases before. 
Sylvia Dikani is a 24-year-old mother of two. She told the Africa Climate Conversations that she couldn't drink this polluted water but opted to buy, costing her 600 shillings a day. That is about $4. Apart from the drought impacting water scarcity in Arrow County, there are also cases of intensive irrigation, the use of chemicals, and road sewerage upstream leading to pollution of water bodies downstream. Dikani says many families have struggled with skin rashes as these women washed their clothes and bathed using this water. I used to buy drinking water as it was impossible to drink the water from the river, but some families had to drink the dirty water. In a day, I will spend 600 shillings on water. Without the money, do you have any choice? Imagine during the rainy season, the river collects everything from dead animals, human waste and anything else. So the river was dirty. We bathed and did laundry at the river. Some people get skin rashes as a result. But now it's changed. We are bathing, washing and drinking with clean water. Aizu of the Anyora Masai camp understood this perennial water problem also well. Under the Marafiki Community International, he had spent years in other parts of Naro County building schools and bringing in well-wishers who would support these schools as well as doctors who would offer free medical services to communities. But now, he had decided to set up the Anyora Masai camp at Oloila Mutia, so he had to find a way to get the camp clean drinking water, and the surrounding mountains offered a solution. It is spring coming from something we call an eye. The eye is where the water gushes up. All of those hills, they are giant containers of water that is naturally filtered for you through the rocks and the soil and whatever they go through that when you just tap it, it's what we call spring water and it is available. It's just that the infrastructure does not exist for the people. We've gone to the eye, cleared the eye, secured it with three walls, and the water fills the three walls, but then feed it to another adjacent huge concrete tank, which has the volumes and an outlet. And then we pipe the water. All of that weight pushes the water coming downhill, and we get the water jumping out from this other end. We have piped about four kilometers to get from the eye to our headquarters. And we are storing at in one time 30,000 liters. Community members such as Dikani and Sananka, as well as businesses located in Olaila Mutia town, have access to water now. Earlier, Sananka mentioned that the cases of stomach aches and diarrhea have reduced, but what is the cost of accessing this clean drinking water? For the community members, we give them water for free. However, they have to be involved in some sort of a cleanup exercise. They have to be involved in the cleaning of the tanks, the source. If we need to go and do something within the grid, they have to contribute manpower. And I'm very serious about it. If they say no, turn it off. They tell them, when you guys are ready to come and participate, come, let's continue running the show. Now, there are people that have trickled in into such a town and um, they are here for business. So they pay eight shillings for 20 liters because we want the economy to run. So then we are able to pay for the loans that we have taken and then inject more money towards increasing the grid. From what I gathered from the people in the surrounding area that we are targeting, we have about 35,000 people we want to affect. We've only affected six. The next one that we are about to kickstart is to access a school that has 1,000 300 to 1,400 children. So we want to make sure that we can get the water to the school. And that's our next aim in what we are calling the third phase 
of the water distribution. Communities access the water early in the morning and in the evening, while businesses they access water throughout the day. Something Dickney expecting a third child says will come in handy this time around when she delivers. It was so hard to get someone to fetch water at the river after delivery. But now that the water is closer to me, I can manage to come fetch water even when pregnant, do my laundry and go cook. After delivery, I can send my child and now it's easier for a friend to bring me water. As a new mother, I can now easily relax as I don't have to worry about buying drinking water and I have clean bathing water. Women in the village often do chores communally as they sometimes access water in areas inhabited by wild animals. Sananka tells me that though sometimes women walk long distances to fetch water, the time spent is also used to socialize and share with fellow women. At the same time, since everyone gathers at the water source as they do laundry or clean their children, it makes it easy to discuss matters of common interests. Maybe you haven't seen someone for a while, so you have the chance to check on them. And as the watering area makes it easier for us to meet, we also take the opportunity to catch up on our children and the families' whereabouts. We have started table banking from here, and sometimes 10 of us agree that during each market day, we will contribute 200 shillings, which we will use to give one person just to improve our lives. From the table banking, I got 8,000 shillings and that's how I managed to buy three goats. Water is critical if the world is to achieve a better and more sustainable future for us all through the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. At Olailamutia town, everyone depends on the weekly market to buy food supplies. Farming is not only hampered by persistent drought, but also by human-wildlife conflict. Now, an adult elephant eats about 180 kilograms of vegetation in a day, making it impossible to farm close to a national reserve. However, with access to water, Aizo tells me that the Anyora Masai camp is growing all the vegetables and fruits the camp requires on their 15-acre land. This is despite sharing their fence with the Maasai Mara National Reserve. But how is Aizo managing to farm? So there's these guys that are traveling. They go to a very arid area. They see elephants have pulled down all the trees, but this one healthy looking tree, they ask the local people, what's so special about that tree? Is it poisonous? And the local people said, no, the elephant will not go close to that tree because it has bees. Wow. So elephants do not like bees. So they come and they start this research of fencing farms with beehives only for the idea to work. That elephants, you know, they have a very healthy memory. They will always look at your little shamba, see the beehives and be like, mm -mm, that's a no-go zone. Who would have ever thought you're using nature to take care of nature? That means you've also introduced um, honey into the equation. So we are able to do our cultivation by fencing our place using beehives. So, and elephants have corridors that they use. So we put the beehives on the corridors. It's an idea that I'm careful to share with the community because it, it needs a lot of work, making sure that the land they have, they only segregate where they're not interfering with the movement of the animals. We need the elephants to cross to the conservancies. If you look at where we are, the elephants come into this piece of land and cross over to the other end. What do they find? A shanty town. So they have to go back anyway. So it's a dead end. So we are able to block them off. And that's how you've seen if we are able to grow our foods, especially onions. They're doing very well. Citrus fruits are doing very well. We are already harvesting. Apples are doing good. I'm really happy about so many other fruit trees that are doing good. 
And this is how we want to empower the people because they know only how to keep cows, sheep and goats. We want to empower them for the sake of compensating when they lose their livestock due to the drought. And you and I know we're in January. We are not meant to be having such rains. So what's going to follow? It's a severe drought. I can tell that for sure because I've been monitoring that for the last like 12 years, just looking at how the weather is changing and how the animals are reacting and all of that in my own terms. So I know what happens when we have extreme rains, they will be followed by extreme dry seasons. So the people need to know this kind of knowledge and be able to prepare for it that okay this is happening and we can be able to counteract it by doing all of this sort of cultivation culturally the maasai people are livestock keepers so not all of them have adopted farming yet but the anyora maasai camp employs the local maasai youth to till the farm Aizo says the aim is to teach demonstrate to and empower the community to grow their own food at home Jacob Ndaya Suloinois, a 23-year-old father of one, has been trained and employed to till the farm at the Anyora Masai camp. Suloinois told the African Climb Conversations that last year he decided that whatever he would learn to farm at the camp, he was also going to try and implement that back at home. With the recent rains, he segregated a quarter acre of his one acre and a half land to farm maize and beans, which he hopes to harvest this April. Why is that? I have decided to farm maize because the cost of food has gone way too high. This will help me because two kilograms of maize have now been raised to 220 Kenya shillings. And in a week, I can buy up to eight kilograms of maize since I'm supporting my family and that of my mother. I'm expecting to harvest about five bags of maize. And with this, I will no longer buy maize flour from the market. The only things I will have to buy are cooking oil, sugar, tea bags, and the like. But maize flour will be catered for. What has Suronoi learned from the Anyora Masai camp that he's implementing back at home? So, I have learned farming from this camp. When I saw what I had personally farmed had matured, I thought, why not try this at home? Things like onions grow faster. You can have them in the nursery, plant and harvest them within four months. Hence, I thought I could plant them at home as they are not eaten by livestock, both sheep and goats, and even elephants. Elephants are only interested in maize. Also, the onions don't require a lot of water. You can water them once a week. You know, the farm is a little far from the wild animals, so I have fenced it. But you know, elephants uh, can still access it. So the only animals you can control are things like monkeys, but it's hard to prevent an elephant. Aizo has vast experience working with the communities and well-wishers. What are some of the major lessons he has learned over the years? The hardest thing that I find ever since I started doing charitable events to change the way people think. I mean, if I'm able to help people see the bigger picture, the process around it, we would go at it a little bit quicker. Because you see what happens is, if everyone around us got on board with what we are doing, because it's for them, that means the word gets out quicker. And it's people that we need to reach out to people because it's people that will make the money. It's people that will give the money. It's people that will give the resources. It's people that will give their time. It's people that will give their knowledge. Nothing else. It is man that is really hard to change. If we can change them, then we transform the way people live.
so so many people will bend over by saying uh you know it is funding that is the issue it's money it's the way the man thinks it's the way i've had to say no to a well-wisher wanting to give money but terms and conditions apply you know i say no i'm dealing with humans whatever it is that you want there's some dignity aspect taken out of it and i don't want to be part of it there's somebody who told me you're the first Kenyan I have seen saying no to money. Why? Because I don't want it on my conscience that you've given me this money to do things the way you think. And I know the war is not between good and evil. The war is between good and right. So I don't want to do the good thing in the expense of the right thing. So let me do the right thing, however slow it goes. But I will genuinely draw people to myself. If I take whatever deal you're giving me, but it's the good thing opposite the right one, I will make a mess. And I don't want to make a mess. So changing the mind is the hardest thing that I have had to encounter. Powerful words are there wrapping up the Maasai Mara experience. There is a difference between doing a good thing and the right thing. Thank you so, so much for listening. Now we move on to the coastal community next. But my dear, remember, earlier on I told you I really need your help. I'm still insisting kindly, please, I really need your help. Please head to the Africa Climate Conversations YouTube page and kindly, kindly subscribe. This subscription means a lot to me. It is your way of supporting me. Tell more of these stories from the field. If you love the content I produce, please head to YouTube, Africa Climate Conversations and subscribe. I will sincerely appreciate it. Kwaheri for now. I will see you next from some breezy Kenyan coast. Looking into coral restoration by the communities and a lot more. Asante sana. My name is Sophie Mbogwa. Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast.